seated. You can take your mask off. It's always a fun sentence. Uh, welcome. It's good to have you. Great to see uh, new people here as well. Uh, it's early for some of you, so thanks for waking up and coming to the 9 a.m. Matt, we just started, man. Come on, your perfect timing. Uh, welcome. My name is James, one of the pastors here. We are uh, in a new series, well, it's not really new. This is our third week in the book of 2 Corinthians. So if you have a Bible or even on your phone, uh, please open to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1. We're looking at a few verses today. Uh, let me set up this scenario. Okay, we're just going to dive right in surrounding uh, our text. And then as we read it, you'll go, oh, that makes more sense. That's really helpful. So here's the theme this morning. If you're looking for, like, what are we going to be talking about? The theme is when Christians misunderstand Christians, okay? Now, that never happens today, so it's probably just like an ancient problem. But uh, so here's what's going on. So Paul, who wrote the letter, uh, he's, you know, the author. He, he'd hoped to visit these believers. Uh, he had this big plan. They knew about it. T- big two visits, first on his way to Macedonia, and second on his way back from Macedonia. But here's what happens, and you can probably, if you have like little comments in your Bible, it'll say Paul's change of plans. So here's what happened. Plans changed. And here's why. When Timothy, you'll read about Timothy, he arrives in Corinth and he brings the letter of 1 Corinthians. Uh, they he, Timothy discovered, wow, things are really, really messy. This church has got a lot of issues, and uh, there's a lot of practices they're doing from other idols and stuff. There's sins. There's, this is a really messy church. I better tell Paul what's going on. Paul, after he immediately hears about this, he, he quickly visits them right away, and it's very confrontational. Like, he's just calling them out. I'm sure, I don't know what Paul was like, but I'm sure his concern was just coming so, I, you know, anybody remember Francis Chan? I kind of think Paul was like Francis Chan, bald and just like so zealous and thankful. And so just imagine if Francis Chan was calling you out on all your stuff, that's what Paul was doing, and and. It, it was rough. And a lot of this letters, you'll see, they felt really hurt. And so what happens is Paul goes back to Ephesus, uh, and from Ephesus, out of love for them, he changes his plans, and he senses they need more time, and they don't need another painful visit. So instead of coming back to them, he, he writes a letter. And what happens is this triggers all kinds of misunderstanding. There, there, there's like accusations, like he's double-minded, Paul's so fickle, you know, how come he can't stick to his plans? Are you going to say yes, no, yes, no? Like, which is it, Paul? Can we really trust you? You're so flaky. He had all these accusations pummeled at him, and you know, just a lot of it, he's being selfish, we're really not that important to you, are we, Paul? And, and they're hurt. And so now, now as we read the text, you'll be like, oh, I can see that, all right? Is that helpful? Okay. Universal symbol, that was helpful. Good. All right. Thanks, Ben. Okay. Let's read our text. For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so toward you. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read, and understand, and I hope you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you know what, you will boast of us and we will boast of you. Because I was sure of this, 
I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? So one translation says, when I planned this, was I irresponsible? Do I make my plans according to the flesh in some kind of human way, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it was always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy. For you stand firm in your faith. Chapter 2. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? And I wrote as I did so that when I came I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. So you can, you can feel his emotion in there. And, and so here's where we're going. I want to highlight, I want to begin really equipping us. I felt the Spirit lead me that way. So I want to highlight uh, three lessons on how to navigate when Christians misunderstand Christians. Really practical on the front end, and then we'll get more theological. And then what Christ-centered truths ought to anchor our love and integrity. What do we learn from Paul? Where does he anchor these Christ-centered truths that really shape and should shape all Christians in their integrity and in their love? Okay, so that's where we're going. At least you know where we're going because I can get on tangents. So, let me pray. Uh, Father, I just love that we get to uh, be with you. And I thank you that you're here. Like we just, we're not here to learn just uh, great helpful truths. Like we want to meet with a person. And so I pray, Father, that as I teach, everyone who's listening would feel like your real living presence is with them to meet them to really, really love them. And so, Holy Spirit, would you just, I just, I confess I'm so inadequate and I can't do anything. I don't even want to try if it's not infused and filled with your spirit and it's your spiritual gifts at work. So I just ask now, in the name of Jesus, would this sermon be filled with the spirit and would come with spiritual gifts? In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I'm, going to get, I'm just going to get right into it. Lessons, okay? So now you're thinking as the church, okay, his job is to equip me for my life as I go and be a Christian in the everyday, okay? 
That's your lens. So here's the first lesson. Um, uh, Number one, always bring into the light any misunderstandings that could cause distrust. What do I mean? Okay, let me, let me share. Paul could have easily, um, you know, thought, knowing that they had issues with him, because Timothy tells them, hey, they're really upset about this. He, he, he could, knowing that they had issues of all his change of plans, he could have just thought, I'm right. I'm not going to make this a thing. I'll just tell them like it is without acknowledging what some are saying or feeling. Okay, that's what he, he could have done that. Um, now, sometimes, let me just say this, we are to let things go in the church, okay? Remember, the theme is Christians misunderstanding Christians. Sometimes we're to let things go. Uh, you know, 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says, love bears all things. It's not resentful. Uh, we're just to forgive. But how do we know, so here's a good question, how do we know when we should be honest and in the light and not let things go? Like, what, how do we know that? And the answer I think in this text, is when it affects trust within a church. you got to bring it up. If it's going to affect trust within a church, you need to bring it up. In a, in a community group, wherever the context of the church and leaders and all these things are involved. So when it's about distrust, we can't merely internalize. Notice, he brings it in the light. He says this. He says, this is what I sense you're feeling towards me. Uh, this is what I heard you've said. Is that true? Right? He, he brings it out. He's like, can I share? Can I clarify? He, he even goes, this was my heart. L- let me tell you what I, this was the reason. It wasn't this, it was this. Right? Paul does that. He, he clarifies. He's like, I heard from Timothy, you're saying these things, can I address that? And notice, let me say this, he loves them. L- let me just give you one more, one verse that we just read. But he says this, for I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart. Some of you have been there. Christians misunderstanding Christians can be like, oh, it's anguish of heart, you know. Um, another lesson, so that's just, I'm giving you some lessons here. Another lesson is uh, uh, always believe the intentions are good. Always notice, Paul gives them the benefit of the doubt. And by the way, I just want to say this for those of you who are the shore, you've been here for a few years now, uh, I'm really proud of you. I've seen, like, much conflict as your pastor for, like, eight or nine years. And so I never said hi to YouTube. Hey, YouTube, um, you guys are really good at this. You, you really, really are. Um, and so I'm really thankful. So, Jesus, thank you. Look at verse 13. He says this, For we're not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand, and I hope you will fully understand. And here's where he gives him the benefit of the doubt. Just as you did partially understand us. So let me just practically begin, if you're, if you're in this misunderstanding with someone, begin believing the person's intentions are good. Okay, too often, especially in a social media, like, entrenched culture, we're really quick at just reading between the lines instead of trusting Christian friends. And, and I think one of the realities that contributes to this is our speed culture, right? We're, in, we're trained to impulse. We, just, we're, we, we don't ask more questions. We're, we're, we've lost the beauty of pace we're so trained with, with like quick impulse, right? Impulse buying, impulse responding, impulse posting on social media. We don't pause anymore. We don't take, you know, the time. We don't take our stuff to the Lord and say, God, I think I should need to ask more questions. We're just kind of like, uh, maybe I should buy that 10th pair of shoes for the outfit I don't have yet. Oh, yes. Send, PayPal, finger, done. Impulse bought, right? But that's what we do. 
We assume right away, this is what they meant. They hate me. We take it personal, and we, misunderst- we misunderstand really, really quickly, right? We, we need to ask sometimes, did this person mean personally how I'm receiving it? Right? Have they actually said, this is really key, so this is for someone in the room, have they actually said some of the unfiltered things that I hear them say in my head are actually real? Do we give space to the Holy Spirit to love that person and to really seek, hey, what's going underneath? What's Jesus transforming? So always begin with good intention. Third thing we see, uh, it's okay to say I'm hurting. Um, you can't read this without feeling the hurt, right? I'm, I'm sure many at Corinth, and how many of you have been here, uh, you, you're, that you're so looking forward to Paul coming back. And then when he changed his plans, it didn't come through. That's hard. How many of you, this probably never happened, but how many of you have ever had a pastor let you down <laughs> or an elder let you down? And, and that's hard. Like that's, that's you know, um, you've been hurt. I, I, I have in being in ministry and being under other other pastors and elders and it's I have felt hurt right you feel sometimes like you don't matter or you're not really being heard and Paul's hurt you can feel it he's like man I was I have faithfully was so consistently with with my conscience bearing witness living in godly sincerity preaching and teaching and then I'm just misunderstood and slandered and there's just this distrust that's hard And it's okay to say this hurts, but let me say this. When a hurt becomes a wound where bitterness and misunderstanding is more thought in your mind unfiltered and it's not addressed, okay, Paul's modeling this here for us, you can give an unhealthy place in your heart to lies, to darkness, which not only dispels love, it will distract your worship and enjoyment of Jesus, and all of a sudden, you will try to be with Jesus, and you've spent so much time in bitterness that you're like, how come I can't enjoy him? So let me say this. Bitterness, this is really key, hidden in your heart can make you skeptical of the goodness in others. No one ever tells you that, by the way, so I'm going to tell you that. Bitterness hidden in your heart can make you skeptical of the goodness of others and is one put it, even skeptical of the goodness of God towards you. So, so what's underneath Paul's heart here is, is more than needing to be liked. He's not, he's not hurt and like, I need you to like me. Um, he doesn't want anything hindering their life with Jesus. He's like, I don't want anything hindering your love of Jesus. And so let me just say, some of us, I think today, maybe perhaps, if this is you, You may need to admit, I'm hurt. You just got to say it. So here's what, walking in the light, it's interesting how how John says, walk in the light as he is in the light, and we will have fellowship with, what, one another. It's interesting. Walking in the light is basically this. You need to open all the rooms, even the ones labeled hurt, into the presence of the Holy Spirit, and then you need to ask the Holy Spirit, is this hurt that I'm holding on to, is there any misunderstanding there? 
And if, he sh- and if you hear yes, then ask him this question. What do you want me to do about it? So uh, on Thursday, I was, I was out for a prayer walk, and um, I asked the Lord, in a time of prayer, after admitting some hurt, I, just, I always like to just tell Jesus how I'm feeling, because he's my friend. And, um, and so I just was admitting to him some hurt, and I asked him, what do you want me to do about it? And I heard him say, I want to heal you. And I was like, oh, that's nice. Right, like that's, you know, that's biblical. And then I thought, okay, so, you know, because you, you always discern. Is this my, because I could tell myself that. So I just asked him, okay, like, what do you want me to do about it? And, um, and I was expecting him to say, I need you to go do this or talk to this person. And then he said, um, with my love. And I was like, and, and I knew it was a real answer. And so I said to him, are you saying that you just want me to pause and just spend more time in giving you space to knowing how much I'm loved by you? Like, just give you space to being loved by you. And I heard him say yes. And then it hit me because all these scriptures started flooding in my head. Like 1 John 4, and this is love that we are called children of God. And, and then it hit me like, that he really, really wants to love me. And then I heard him say this, if you don't believe you matter to me, you won't make much of my love for others. And sometimes we don't give space to actually feel and allow the Father to love us. And so let me just say, if some of those doors, you haven't given him the love, and you haven't grieved with his love, he might want to invite you into that. His love is really, really real. You know, it's as real as he is. Um, it can really love you. But, it, but listen, my whole point in this lesson is it begins what Paul's doing and modeling for us. It begins with admitting hurt. And, 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 it, and you can heal bitterness so that you can genuinely work towards reconciliation. It's funny how later, if you go to 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says this, for the love of Christ controls us. Like, being loved and and feeling his pleasure in his love for you can control you in ministry, can control you as a follower of Jesus. Like, it's not just a theological thought. It can be a real living presence of his love. Um, Last lesson. Okay, so number four, stop mind reading, (laughs) okay, and get clear on expectations. Um, This one is really, really helpful. So oftentimes, Christians misunderstand, because that's our theme right now. Paul's being misunderstood. Uh, He's clarifying everything. Uh, Christians misunderstanding Christians oftentimes isn't necessarily because of hurt, But often, especially if it's like two husband and wife Christians, or boyfriend and girlfriend Christians, or just roommate Christians, or, you know, team Christians, whatever it is, uh, it's it's literally expectations not being spoken. Um, you, you, You see this in this passage, we thought you were coming 
to visit, but you didn't. There was an expectation. It wasn't met. And so there's all this kind of slander and low-level anxiety coming in. And so here's a few thoughts on this, okay? One, expectations need to be spoken. Uh, it, it's so key if you are a person with an expectation. First of all, you need to be aware that you have one. Sometimes we're not even aware. We're like, why didn't they text me back? And you're like, maybe, it wasn't your, maybe you had an expectation that people text back the way you do, right? Or how come they didn't do this? So do, are you aware that you have expectations? And then here's the thing. Expectations need to be spoken. Um, it, it's, it, you need to share it. If you never share with someone or speak and clarify expectations, you can't be reasonably upset, right? Um, it, it's, yeah. So let me say this. The moment you get better or, or you get a, like a thought towards someone or you feel like you're... You're, you're misunderstanding them, but you don't share that. That's more in your responsibility than the person. You can't be mad at the person. And if you know someone took you wrong or, or you may need some clarity, make sure to ask. Right? You got to go talk to the person. Or if you don't talk to the person, here's what will happen. You will find your heart begin to uh, drift and it will start to decay. You'll, you'll actually feel lethargic. Your mind will start slandering people. And you're like, whoa, I didn't know I was thinking that. Or you'll live in this continuous low-level anxiety, which is an often a good indicator. I may not have asked the person the question, is this what you meant? Or I'd love to hear your heart. This is where the enemy gets in. You're going to see next week, it's literally one of the designs of Satan. Okay, here's the second thing about expectations, and this is, you know, we'll get off the practical soon and get back more into the theological, but um, they're only valid when they have been mutually agreed upon, okay? Expectations, they, they not only need to be spoken, they need to be agreed upon, they need to be reasonable, but they need to be agreed upon. I borrow this from uh, Pete Scazzaro. He has this emotionally healthy leader podcast. Uh, I just love how, how he has done this with his own family, uh, we do this as a staff. I do this with my wife when she lets me. Uh, but, but here's what he suggests, okay? So, again, the principle right now is stop mind reading and get really clear. So here's the principle. We'll be on the screen. So here's what they do. You ask permission. So this is really practical. But you just say, uh, may I have permission to read your mind? And that person says, yes. Or, or you can say, can I check out an assumption that I have? And that person's like, of course you can't, right? You're asking permission. And then you say, I think that you think I need to fill in the blank. Here's the expectation. Is that correct? And that person's like, oh, actually, no, I was thinking this, but that one part is correct. Oh, okay. So it's clarified, and then it's agreed upon, right? Uh, or I'm wondering, is that correct? So if you, if you so those CGs start this week. So if you're, if you're new and you want to get more plugged in, we have community groups, the way we kind of do life on life together. They all start out this week, really excited about them. Um, but one of the questions, if the leaders do the questions, and they don't have to, because we said just let the Spirit lead your nights, but we'll give you some questions to guide if you want to use them. But you're actually going to do this in your community room, okay? It'll be fun. Uh, you're going to practice on your CG leader. So you're going to say, permission to read your mind. And so Matt, it's your CG leader, I'll just use you. Matt, permission to read your mind. Yes. So I'll, just, I'll do this for you. Yes. Matt, I think that you think 
when you said, I'm hoping we're all going to meet outside the group more, I think that you want me to invite someone out for coffee on my own, or am I waiting for you to set that up for us? And then Matt says, it is my expectation, and then, so I think that you think, okay? Paul, permission to read your mind. Sure. I think that you think you're done with us. That, that you're so upset about our li- li- licentiousness and our sin when you visited that you're fed up and we're not worth it to you. Is that correct? Is that why you changed your plans? And then Paul can share what he shares. Listen, clarifying is so important. I, let me tell you this. I have failed so often at this. <laughs> Desiree's like, yes, you have. No, it's so, uh, but I have. No, I'm not, I know you're not saying yes to me. It's just funny when you nod at that. Um, but I have. You know, like, it's, um, yeah. And let me say this. When you fail at this, just own it. Like, just tell the person, and I've had to do this recently, the whole time I've made this about me rather than hearing you. You know? It's interesting. In this last sermon series we did on uh, spiritual conflict, uh, there's been many conversations of clarity and repairing that I've had to do, and I'm still needing to do. And I, I, I really, you know, I wish I actually spent more time clarifying terms. Like, this, when I say this, I mean this, and I don't mean this. Um, but a lot of that is just stuff I'm learning. And I, I just I love the grace of God in this, and it's such a timely passage for me. But, but let me say this. If those are... If any of those lessons resonate with you and the Holy Spirit has brought a person to mind, he's really speaking to you. And so maybe ask the Lord, is there anything you want me to do about it? And uh, he'll tell you. Okay? You're welcome. Okay, so if those are some lessons, let's now go into uh, Christ-centered truths that ought to anchor, that we can see here that's really anchoring uh, Paul's integrity and his love. So what's anchoring Paul's integrity and his love? That's what he's, we're going to look at now. Um, first of all, integrity is built on the grace of Jesus. He says this in verse 12. For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we have behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity. He's like we acted in God's holy and honest ways, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, keeping in with God's grace. So he begins with my conscience. A good conscience, a clear conscience, is foundational. Right? You're checking your heart with the Holy Spirit. You're saying, God, show me if there's anything in there that is about me. He's saying my godly sincerity, my lifestyle, was consistent with the intent of my heart. And when you do that, he even says in 1 Timothy, like, the aim of our charge is love from a pure conscience. A pure conscience is such an anchoring reality of the grace of God at work in you. It means you're, you're, you're an honest person. You're pulling in who you are in Christ is standing on his grace. So he knew the Lord was leading him. Second, he roots the sincerity for the reason he changes his plans. Notice, in the truths, this is really key, we just sang this, of who Jesus is preached in their message and how the spirit works look at this on the screen in verse 18 he says this as surely as God is faithful our word to you has not been yes and no 
For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy, and I was not yes and no, but in him it was always yes. You could just imagine Paul's preaching going like, hey, you know, like, will the Lord still sing over you? Yes, because Jesus rose and he's just bringing the gospel And he's showing how consistent and trustworthy all the promises of God are. Look at verse 20. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our yes to God, our amen to God for his glory. So let me try to help you see what he's doing here. He says our message was one where we kept pointing to the assurance and trustworthiness of God's faithfulness. That we kept pointing to you the promises of Jesus and the promises of God all find their yes in Jesus. He's saying that gospel, that power, that message is the same working in us. Just as there was no contingency or uncertainty in the message, for behind the message is the faithfulness of God. So it is our truthful heart towards you. And, And this is such an integrity thing. This is such an anchoring truth. Um, there's no ambiguity or uncertainty and fickleness about the Son of God. It's all pointing to Jesus. Um, it's all anchored in Jesus. So I'm going gonna, gonna to have some fun here. John Calvin, he writes this, Therefore, when you hear the gospel presenting you Jesus Christ, in whom all the promises and gifts of God have been accomplished, such a good sentence, remember this, it's all yes. It's all pointing to Jesus. I remember uh, Keller in a uh, preaching course he did. He said, Jesus is the true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is imputed to us. Jesus is the true and better Moses who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who mediates a new covenant. Jesus is the true and better David whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves, right? There's so many more, but I'll give you another one. Jesus is the true and better Esther who didn't just risk losing an earthly palace, but lost the ultimate heavenly one, who didn't just risk his life, but gave his life to save his people. Uh, Paul Barnett in his commentary says this, and it'll be on the screen. To read the Old Testament without reference to Christ is... Is like reading a mystery novel with the final chapter torn out. All the clues are scattered throughout the story, but without the final finale, no one could be sure of the explanation of the mystery or the identity of the one in whom all interest has been aroused. The gospel of the Son of God, as proclaimed by Paul, is the final chapter of God's story, which explains all and without which everything which proceeds remains I don't even know what that word means. Agmatic and up in the air. Meaning this, it's all moving. It's all pointing to, it's all rushing into the person and the perfect work of Jesus, right? We could go on and on. Jesus fulfills the ceremonial laws about foods. You can see that in Acts 10 and 11. Jesus fulfills circumcision, which represents how he was cut off from God. Now we are clean in him. Jesus is the Passover lamb. We could just keep going, but it's all true in Jesus. The promises are yes in Jesus. This is our anchoring grip in the sufficiency of Scripture. It's all going to be true. It's all coming true because of Jesus. Woo! That's cool. We should just thank Jesus right now because that's amazing. You guys ready? Let's thank him. Yes! That's really exciting. Yeah, we really are thankful for you. 
Okay, in my, one of my devotionals, I came across some promises that were turned into questions from Scripture, and I really felt like the Lord wanted me to share some of them with you, so I'm going to do that. These will be on the screen as well. So because of Jesus Christ, the perfection of his life, the sufficiency of his death, the power of his resurrection, the certainty of his return, God answers to your questions are always and ever yes. So Father, will you answer me when I call? Yes. God, will you be for me fullness of joy and pleasures evermore? Yes. Father, will you be there with me and for me and beside me as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death? Yes. My resurrection is really real. I am really your friend. I am really present with you. Holy Spirit, will you satisfy my heart with ravishing revelations of your beauty? Yes. God, does your steadfast love endure really like all day long? Yes. Father, is it true that your mercies never come to an end? And, and, and they literally are new every morning. Yes, settled at the cross. God, will you continue to sing over me with joy and delight in spite of my brokenness and weakness and immaturity and my, my Romans 7, I just don't know why I do these things. Look at, my, look at the holes in my hand. Yes, God, are you actually committed to orchestrating all things in my life? For my ultimate spiritual good. Yes, Father, are all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, are they already and absolutely mine? Yes, like I'm a new, I'm not even a citizen of this earth. Yes, God, is it still the case that you really plan to, in every room in my soul, sanctify me wholly in spirit and soul and body? Yes, God, are you actually committed to never, to never leaving me or forsaking me? Yes, God, if I draw near to you, will you draw near to me? Yes. God, if I confess my sins, like will you forever be faithful and just and just and forgive me of them? Yes. God, is it still your intent to wipe away every tear from my eyes and to banish pain and sorrow and death? Yes. 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 They're all yes. They're all yes. He goes on. He's so excited about God. He's like, look at what the Holy Spirit's doing. He's like, look at what the Holy Spirit did in you guys. In verse 21, he says, and it is God who establishes us with you. This is really true, and he's anointed us. Uh, it's interesting, in the original Greek, you don't have to know this, but it's just fun when, when I can point stuff out. Uh, it literally reads, in you, uh, it's like a play on words. It says something like, God Christed us Christward. That's what it means to him. He Christed us Christward, indicating that he's really made them Christ. So when you're sealed with the Holy Spirit and you're anointed, you're Christ's and you've been made Christward. Like Christ is in you. Like that's how the spiritual realm sees you. That's how the Father sees you. Just Christ and Christward. You're a Christ and Christward guy. It's so cool. And that's who we are. And he's like, you've also, he's got a seal on you, which is ownership, given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. He's just like, this is how trustworthy God is. You have these trustworthy realities that work in your life. You can trust the spirit who's established me with you. He sealed this. He sealed you. He's anointed you. This is the initial installment of everything guaranteeing the future we said was coming. The effects of the spirit point to the realness. 
He's just so rooting and anchoring his word to them, his sincerity to them, his integrity to them in the word of God, in the truthfulness of God. And then look at verse 24. Now, this should motivate every one of us. If you're a follower of Jesus, this should be the job description of every community group leader and every elder and pastor and, and worship leader and every leader that is this. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy. That's a good mission statement. For you stand firm in your faith. I want to come, come alongside you to intensify your joy in Christ. So you woke up every day and you said, Father, thank you that you really love me. I just want to pause. I want to ask that you would now fill me with your love. And then you go to the word and you just enjoy reading. You, you ask the Lord to open your eyes. And then you leave that time and you say, Father, who in my life can we work together to intensify their joy in Christ? That that's his passion, even in hard things. Paul's passion in this letter isn't to control them. See, the enemy will come in, and anytime someone speaks into your life, you feel like they're trying to control you. That's not from the Father. I mean, you got to check their heart as well. But, but Paul's not here, like, you know, trying to push them to feel like, you got to please me now. You hurt my feelings. No, no. His heart was like <laughs> love. He has this good goal of the Father's goal, namely to intensify their joy in Jesus. He wants them to see that they're no longer slaves to fear. They're no longer controlled by this old self. They, they, they can now have a deep and durable delight in the splendor of God. And he's like, this is why I changed plans. He loves you. You really matter to him. And you matter to me, and I'm working for your joy, and he's faithful, and, and the spirit of the gospel is really alive in you. And so keep your eyes on him and walk in the light and open, open every door that has fear and hurt. For as we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. That's what he's after. This whole passage, actually, in my prayer walk, I, sometimes I just hit a wall when I'm studying. And I just walked out and I was like, Jesus, what is this passage about? And I, I heard right away, reconciliation. He's right. So, Father, just thank you. I pray that we would not only feel the love of Jesus right now as we sing and as we take communion, but I just, I, I pray we would not, if this word is a good word, and we're, we feel a little uncomfortable, not because we don't feel loved, but because you want us to open that door and there's, there's areas where you want to love us in, and we've closed that off. I just pray that you would, we would feel you in these next few minutes just opening that door. And would you just speak? Would we just hear you? We thank you for the cross. We thank you for your life 
We thank you that you died in our place for our sin, that you absorbed the judgment we deserved. The wrath of God was taken off us. You took it so that in you, we can be loved and reconciled to God forever. That's really good news. And now we have all these promises that are yes. And so we praise you. And so as we respond, would you just fill us, Holy Spirit? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Invite Pastor John up here. That's fun. Um, to lead us into a time of communion, and we will, well, then we'll sing together. For those of you who are at home in YouTube, feel free to grab some Cobb's bread or whatever you got and some juice or wine based on your conscience and um, take communion together. to apologize to you. I am forgetting every element that I need up here to lead in this. Uh, I think one of the hardest parts that we face in the Christian life is, is learning how to appreciate anew what has been provided for us. And um, so that was my heart as I began to uh, prepare for this morning. One of the things I want to draw your attention to, I'm going to just read a passage for you. I'd like you to, however you can, the place where you can get where you can hear and where you want to listen for God's voice to you. I want to read a passage to you. So this is from John chapter 6. Jesus said to them, that is the Jews, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. And that's what Paul, upon those words and upon all of the history that is referred to in there, it's what Paul writes when he says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, this is my body, which is for you.
In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we want to thank you that all of your promises are yes in the Lord Jesus Christ. That it was your plan that he would come, that he would secure them by his death and resurrection and ascension to your side. And that we await your, the completion of your salvation when you return. Focus our attention upon what you have done and direct us as we follow you. In Jesus' name.